Uh, our reading today is from Mark 16, 1 to 8. So I'll just um, read through it for us. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So we've been uh, working our way through uh, the Gospel of Mark. For those of you who uh, haven't um, been present with us, it's great to see you here today. Uh, wonderful uh, to have so many friends and family here. Uh, and last week, Sarah looked at the wrath of God and its relation to the grace of God. <clears throat> and we saw that unless we appreciate the magnitude of the wrath of God, we can never fully appreciate how amazing the grace of God is. And I was personally struck um, by the idea that the reason that Jesus was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, was not because of the, the physical pain that he was about to suffer, and perhaps it wasn't even the fact that he was about to experience a, a, a fragmentation, a schism in his relationship with God the Father, although that must have undoubtedly been a factor. But it was primarily because he was about to endure the wrath of God uh, against sin as he became sin itself. And remember uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God made Jesus to be sin. And the word in the Greek is the same word as uh, when God created uh, Adam and Eve. God made them. It's the same word. Um, so God literally made Jesus to be sin and then poured out his wrath against sin on him. So no wonder Jesus was uh, sweating drops of blood. This idea is extremely sobering. <clears throat> and it's sobering because anyone who refuses to accept what Jesus did for them will have to endure the wrath of God against sin, um, against their own sin themselves. And another picture that, that Sarah brought was the picture of the cup containing the poison that Jesus uh, willingly drank for us. And that was extremely moving too. Uh, in Mark 14, 36, Jesus says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but uh, what you will. So the, the picture of the cup, uh, the, the cup was used as in, in ancient times as a way to administer the death penalty for <clears throat> um, various crimes. So what Jesus is saying was he is drinking the cup of poison and he was about to undergo an excruciating death. So this whole idea of the wrath of God, uh, sin carries the, the death penalty and this penalty is like a poison cup. And again, this cup must be drunk. We can either ask Jesus to drink ours for us 
or we will have to drink it. There's no other way. And that, when you see the magnitude of the wrath of God, you, you can appreciate the grace of God even more. But that was the passion of the Christ, and today we want to celebrate and rejoice in Jesus' resurrection. And we're skipping forward again in our journey uh, in the Gospel of Mark, so we're only up to about chapter 4, but we're skipping forward again to chapter 16. And as we've just heard, the woman were given a message from the angel who was waiting for them at the empty tomb. And the message was, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. <clears throat> now this message, when you think about it, was the first announcement of the resurrection and was direct from Jesus himself. So it's really important, really important. So uh, today I'm going to focus specifically in on two words that the angel said to the woman. The two words that we're going to look at today are, and Peter. Can you preach a sermon on two words? We're about to find out. What's so important about these two words, and why did Peter get a special mention? So we're going to see that these two words mean three things. Firstly, God's not into cancel culture. Secondly, God's grace can turn our failure into good. And our failures don't derail God's plan for us if we repent, if we change our minds. That's what the word means, and obey. So just to back the, the truck up a little, how did we get here? Uh, you all know that Peter spent three years with Jesus. <clears throat> he saw Jesus heal many sick people, including members of his own family. Remember, uh, Jesus healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, he walked on water with Jesus and was told by Jesus that he was the rock on which he would build his church. Things were going great. Um, I don't think you can get any more heady than that. But as I have found out the hard way myself, it's not when life is hard that you have to watch out. It's when life is going great that you're in the spiritual danger zone. Why is that? Because you get to thinking that everything good that's happened in your life is actually because you're awesome. And you forget that all good things in life are actually a gift and an undeserved gift at that. That's what grace is, an undeserved favour, undeserved gift. And pride rears its ugly head. And most times we don't even realise that we're in the middle of a prideful experience. And as we all know, pride comes before a fall. And that's exactly what happened to Peter, wasn't it? He was full of self-confidence and he proudly proclaimed, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. How terrible for Peter then that he denied knowing his Lord not once, not twice, but three times with swearing and cursing. And worst of all, Jesus was present to hear Peter's stinging words of denial in the courtyard. Luke 20, 22, 61 says, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Imagine what Peter felt in that moment. Imagine his guilt. Imagine his shame. Why was it so terrible for Peter? Because he actually loved Jesus. But his crushing realisation was that his fear was far greater than his love for Jesus. Little wonder then that Peter broke down and wept. Why did Jesus look straight at Peter? <clears throat> was it an accusatory glare, a disappointed frown? I told you so, look, perhaps. 
None of these make any sense in the light of the reading today. Instead, Jesus looked at Peter with forgiveness, with tenderness. <coughs> and there's something else that I've never seen before here. And that's, it would have smote Peter's heart like nothing else. The fact that simply by looking at Peter and doing nothing else, Jesus expressed in a way that words could not convey that his love for Peter was far greater than Peter's love for him. You think about this for a second. In that moment, Jesus could have pointed at Peter and said, that loser over there who's just denied me was one of my former disciples. I think you should get him as well. He could have said that, couldn't he? And he would have been well within his rights to do it. That's what he should have done. But he didn't. He protected Peter in that moment because of his love for Peter. So Jesus proved by what he didn't do how deeply he loved Peter. Isn't that so incredibly beautiful? Again, no wonder Peter broke down and wept. That would have made Peter's shame so much greater. <coughs> and grace does that, doesn't it? Paul describes responding in kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it as heaping burning coals on his head. So in that moment, Peter must have felt like a river of lava was pouring over his. So that's, I think, where Peter's heart and mind were <clears throat> at that Sunday morning. So, so try to picture the scene. The disciples are gathered together in a room somewhere in Jerusalem. They're all subdued and stinging with shame for having cut and run when the Lord needed them. But of all of them, Peter's feeling the worst. I think he might have even been sitting by himself. I, I, I don't know that. But if I asked Peter, I think I wouldn't want to talk to anyone else. I'd just be sitting by myself. At least the others hadn't talked themselves up and then denied their Lord so completely. <coughs> Maybe he was replaying the scene in his mind like I tend to do again and again and again. And maybe he was always coming back to that look of love and tenderness that Jesus gave him. Realising that instead of judging him in that moment, Jesus had protected him. And then the woman burst in and say that they had just been to the tomb of Jesus, but it was empty. And on top of that stunning development, an angel was sitting where Jesus' body had been, who said that the same Jesus who had been crucified had risen. And there was more. The angel told the disciples and Peter, that Jesus wanted them to go to Galilee and meet him there. Imagine what would have happened if those two words hadn't been there. If the angel had just said, I want the disciples to meet me in Galilee. <laughs> what would you have, how would you have responded if you were Peter? Ah, uh, you guys go ahead. I think I'll stay here. In fact, I might just go home. I think Peter's failure was so colossal that if Jesus hadn't called him by name in that moment, Peter would have concluded that he was no longer required. He had done too much to be forgiven and accepted back. And fair enough too, who would have given Peter another chance in that, uh, after that little effort? So this is God's amazing grace at work here again. If I, I think if Jesus hadn't called him by name, 
Peter would have been lost to, to the early church right then and then. But those two words, and Peter, were part of the angel's message. And those two words said so much to him <clears throat> in that moment. He needed to hear them so much. It meant four things. <clears throat> Firstly, Jesus didn't hold Peter's failure against him. Secondly, it meant that Jesus desired him still. I want you to come to me. Come to me. That means Jesus wanted him. Thirdly, it meant that Peter still had an important role to play in the kingdom of God. And fourthly, Jesus still believed that Peter could carry those plans out. Jesus believed in Peter when he couldn't believe in himself. What a stark contrast to the cancel culture of today's world. And if you haven't heard of the term yet, cancel culture <clears throat> is the process of cancelling someone to reject them, to ostracise them, to banish them, to ignore them, to publicly oppose their views or actions, and to deprive them of platforms in which they can express themselves. And if the person who has been cancelled perhaps falls to their knees and grovels and begs for forgiveness, it's possible that they might just be accepted back into the fold, but the stain of their previous failure will never be forgotten. They will always be a loser. God is not into cancel culture, as we can see here. He didn't cancel Peter and write him off because of his colossal failure, even though he had every right to. The currency of the kingdom of God is grace, and we can see it in action in these two words. The amazing thing about grace is <clears throat> that it doesn't deny failure or pretend that it never happened. Jesus never tried to minimise Peter's failure, did he? On the contrary, grace allows failure to be acknowledged, but then seeks the best for the person who has failed by bestowing favour and blessing upon them anyway. Peter, come to me. That's favour, that's acceptance, that's blessing. <clears throat> Anyone who has ever received grace, and many of you here have, knows how life-changing it is. I'll never forget years ago when I told my dad what I was struggling with. And he said, son, that's not you. When I expected disgust, I received acceptance. When I expected judgment, I received affirmation and love. He believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And that was the dawn of a new day for me. That's when I first understood what grace was. And I think the two words we're looking at today were, were the dawn of a new day for Peter too. He learned something profound that day. Jesus' love for him was far greater than his love for Jesus. He had boasted of how much he'd loved Jesus, but when push came to shove, his love failed in the face of his fear. Now when he deserved to be cancelled by Jesus, he was called back. What was Peter's mistake, <clears throat> and how can we learn from it? I think his mistake is something that we all have the inclination to do, and that is to place our confidence in some aspect of ourselves instead of Jesus. And that's why when everything's going so well, we can have the tendency to look around and go, man, haven't I done an awesome job? I am so awesome. <clears throat> so Peter placed his confidence in his love for Jesus, a subtle mistake, but one with terrible consequences. Jesus didn't want his confidence there. He wanted Peter's confidence to rest in him. Why? Because our love for Jesus can become a point of self-righteousness in our lives. That's the tragic thing. Something good can be twisted 
into a, a, a thing of pride in our lives. And so Peter, uh, Jesus allowed Peter's confidence in his own love and devotion to be completely and utterly destroyed. <clears throat> we see a similar pattern throughout scriptures, uh, throughout the scriptures. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the philosopher proudly exclaimed, I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. And his conclusion, everything is meaningless. His own pride and his wisdom and understanding defeated him. And he ended up saying, everything is meaningless. Well, what a wonderful conclusion that is. His confidence and his, oh, it was in his own wisdom to figure out all that is done under the heavens. No mention of God. And again, God allowed it to be completely destroyed. Some of you might remember the story of A.B. Simpson, um, who we covered uh, a year or two ago, who thought that if he worked up enough faith, he might receive the healing that he had been seeking for so long. He placed his faith <clears throat> in his own faith instead of in Christ. And what was the result? <clears throat> in his own words, he writes, The Lord allowed the devil to try my faith, and the devil devoured it like a roaring lion. And I found myself so broken down that I did not think I had any faith. And then the Lord showed him what he was doing, how he was placing his confidence in his own faith. And the revelation came from Galatians 2.20. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, which is often mistranslated, I live by faith in the Son of God, which is a subtle, again, a subtle but very important difference. I live by the faith of the Son of God means my faith is actually Jesus, belongs to Jesus. I live by faith in the Son of God as actually pointing to myself and my own faith. And he wrote, that's it. It is not your faith. You have no faith in you any more than you have life or anything else in you. You have nothing but emptiness and vacuity. And you must just be openness and readiness to take him to do all. So failure, colossal failure, has the ability to expose to us what we're actually placing our confidence in, doesn't it? And that's a very good thing if we change our minds and place our confidence on Jesus instead. And for Peter, his failure showed him that he placed his confidence and his love for Jesus instead of Jesus' love for him. What are you placing your confidence in at the moment? Is there any area of your life that you're failing in? What does it say about where your confidence is? So that's the first point. God doesn't believe in cancel culture. Second point. Our failures don't derail God's plan for us. So these two words and Peter told him that Jesus hadn't changed his mind about the role that he had given Peter in his kingdom. In Matthew 16 <clears throat> verse 18, Jesus said, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What a job description. No wonder it went to his head. <laughs> but like most prophecies, there were some dark nights and deep valleys to be endured before it came to pass. So Peter's failure didn't derail God's plans for him and his church. Instead, it made those plans possible. So we saw that in the previous point. It allowed him to place his confidence and his faith on Jesus instead of in himself, which was a much stronger foundation to build his life on. He repented. He changed his mind about what he was placing his confidence in. How did he show that he had repented? He obeyed. Jesus told him to go to Galilee and meet him. And we know that Peter did. By obeying, Peter was throwing himself completely on Jesus' grace. 
wasn't he? He had no other basis for showing up in Galilee. He had completely failed. He was only doing what Peter, uh, Jesus asked him to do. So in his obedience, he showed that he was no longer placing any weight or confidence on his own love for Jesus. He was completely relying on Jesus' love for him. So our, fail, our failures don't derail God's plan if we change our minds, if we repent and obey what Jesus has called us to do. So today we've seen that firstly, God's not into cancer culture and therefore neither should we be either. Secondly, God's grace can turn our failure for good, like he did for Peter. And thirdly, our failures don't derail God's plans for us if we repent, if we change our minds and obey what he's calling us to do. Peter had a choice when he heard that call to go to Galilee. He could have cancelled himself. We have a terrible habit of cancelling ourselves, don't we? In other words, I don't deserve to show up there because I'm such a loser, so I'm not going to go. But the thing is, here's the point. If he had done this, he would have shown that he was still placing his confidence in his own love for Jesus. Right? Because he's, he's the, the defining level of whether he goes or not is still his own success in loving Jesus. So that wouldn't have been repentance. That's not changing your mind. Instead, he threw himself on the grace of Jesus and went to Galilee. So you see, the message from Jesus that was delivered by the angel for Peter was a call to repent. Stop placing your confidence in your own ability to love God, to obey God, to serve God. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't want our confidence there. Just obey. Place your confidence in Jesus' love and grace and obey what he has asked us to do. Obedience shows repentance. What has Jesus asked you to do? Are you still placing your confidence in your ability to do it? Are you defining your ability to do it by your own level of faith or love or service? If so, Jesus' call to Peter is his call to you too. Repent, change your mind about your own strength and goodness and rest and Jesus' strength and goodness as you step out in obedience to what he has called you to do. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these wonderful two words and the message from the angel. We thank you for the grace and love and call to obedience that was contained in those two little words. Lord, we want to thank you for Peter too. He embodies so much of ourselves. We can see ourselves in how he reacts to situations. Lord, we ask you for the humility to reject the confidence in our own strength, abilities, our, our love, our faith, everything, Lord. Lord, may we just rest in everything that you are you are faith you are love you are strength you are intelligence you are everything we need lord we ask that as we seek to obey what you've called us to do in our own lives we would place our confidence in you 
and follow Peter's example. In your beautiful name, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.